Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So we're currently doing a preaching series about looking deeper. It's in our circle of vision that is here. Wonderful. And we've been studying the life of King David. Um, so we've looked at how God chooses leaders in the Bible. Um, has talked about Saul's heart and how he was filled with fear and jealousy, jealousy, anger. And today we're going to build a little bit on all this and we're going to look at the death of Saul. So the death of Saul really is a trans- transitioning time. Okay, It's a time of transition between the rule of Saul to the rule of David. But it's also a time where we see basically all the sort of bad choices and bad behaviors that Saul continuously made coming to a defining point. Okay? And when, what we'll try to understand today is what happened? What happened to Saul so that he got to that place? Because it's not a good place. Yeah? And what did he fundamentally miss about God to get there? So that when we live our life for God, when we make choices, that we may make choices that helps us to have a life to the fullness of what God has for us. So I'm going to read the passage, we'll have a pray, and then we'll go for it. Okay? So if you can open your Bible or you're on your phone, um, what to 1 Samuel 31, verse 1 to 13. I will have a read. Please um, excuse my Frenchness. There's a lot of really challenging words <laughs> for a French person in that chapter. I was like, thanks, Owen. That is uh, lovely. <laughs> so, okay. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or this uncircumcised fellow will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer, and all his men died together on the same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news that in the temples, in the temple of the idols and among their people. They put his armor in a temple of the Ashtoreth and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistine had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Beth Shan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. 
Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk, tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. Well, I'm going to have a pray. Yeah, God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is full of truth. It's powerful. It comes from you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that um, as we look into the death of Saul, Lord, that we would have open heart to hear you, Lord, that you would give me a clarity in what I say, Lord, um, and that I would speak with my heart, Lord, and that people um, here would be open to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what do we see in this, uh, in this main chapter? Well, we see that there's a fierce battle between Israel and Saul and his army and the Philistine. Philistines being the big, bad enemy of the Israel for a long time. Okay? On that same day, Saul sees his army defeated, his sons get killed, he's wounded, and then he, what does he do? He chooses to kill himself rather than being humiliated and killed by the Philistines. His armor-bearer, who is with him, ends up killing himself too. And as a consequence, Saul's body is used really as a trophy to glorify foreign gods. The Israelites flee, and then basically the Philistines occupy that part of Israel. It is not a good day. It is not a good day for Saul, and it is not a good day for the people of Israel. Yeah? At no time in here, what's really important to see in that passage is at no time does Saul turn to God to ask him to save him and his people. Also, we don't, we don't see him rise in faith knowing that God is his king, that he fights his battle. And finally, we, we don't see him expressing any concern about the glory of God. And his body is used to bring glory to foreign gods. That is not good. That is not a good response for someone who's been anointed as king over the people chosen, over the chosen people of God. So how did Saul get there? What did he, what did he miss? I think first Saul, he, he missed that God was his glory. If we look back a bit at Saul's life, um, just to understand a bit the passage, what do we know from even some of the previous weeks? We know that initially, yeah, God was chosen and anointed by God as king. We know that he was to govern over Israel under the rule of God. We know that God gave him a new heart. We know that the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And we know that not long after he got anointed as king, he wins a major battle against the Ammonites. And why does he win? Because the Lord is with him. So really, Saul, he gets, he gets a good glimpse of what it is like to walk with the Lord gets a good glimpse of what it could be like to walk in his calling. He sees how he has a huge potential to bring glory to God. Yet at the end of his life, he has no concerns for God's glory. You know, the very calling of God that was spoken over Saul, in itself, it was good. You know, it was good. It was blessed by God, anointed by God. And what it does, it just starts to consume Saul's heart. What was meant to bring glory to God starts to be about Saul. It starts to be about him. 
about his little glory rather than God's glory. Um, Tim Keller is um, an American pastor and theologian. I'm a bit of a fan, I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest. And he explains that the word glory means, in the Greek, means weight, heaviness. And he sort of encourages you to think about what is the glory in your life? What is that thing that brings weight to your life, that brings significance to your life? You know, that thing that deep inside, you know, if that happens in my life, or as long as this thing happens, I will have made it. I will, can make my peace with whatever else happens in my life. Yeah? He explained that that thing that you take the most pride in, that's your glory. That's where your life carries weight. And he encourages, really, for us to find our glory in God. That the weight of our life and our time on earth would be found in God. When I try to think about um, when I try to think about a real example of what that may look like to find your glory in God, I couldn't help but think about Ben. So I checked with him out about sharing this example. I'm going to try not to cry. Um, so Ben was one of our dear friends, wasn't he? Ginger man played the bass. <laughs> um, and he was an elder in this church. And last year, for those who maybe are new to here, he passed away um, after battling several months with cancer. And I remember going for lunch with Emma and Ben. And it was, it was at the time where he was about to start his chemo and he'd already had quite a bit of surgery. And they had been given, really, the prognosis of the cancer. And it was really good. You know, the, the survival rate was not very high. But somehow, I remember sitting in front of Ben and Emma, and Ben, he was in peace. He was in peace. And I remember sharing with him how, how much, um, how, sorry, how the church had responded to his illness and how it brought people together to pray and that, people had, that the church had persevered in seeking God. And you know what? Then he was so happy. And it was, as, it was almost as if all the suffering that he had already faced and that he was going to face was okay. Because he could just see that it was worth for God to be glorified through the response of this church. So, for Ben, what carried weight and glory in his life, it was God. It was God. And because of that, somehow he could look at his life and he could hold his health lightly. Guys, let us be inspired by that. Because we are to do the same, we are to do the same, to find our glory in God, to boast in God alone. Because everything else is a cheap comparison. Ah, dear. I thought I might cry, they would get embarrassing for you, and then it would get embarrassing for me. <laughs> and then we would move on together. Okay, so, uh, for Saul, what carried weight in his life, that thing that Tim Keller talks about 
There was his kingship, you know. When he disobeys God, that he's rejected as king, that David starts to rise as a new leader, that the spirit of the Lord actually leaves Saul. Saul, he just can't let go of it. Yeah. At this point, even every, with everything that goes against him, being a king, it just means too much to him. And he starts losing himself in it. He does. He loses himself. And it drives him into all sorts of dramatic and desperate behaviors, yeah? That probably he never imagined himself falling into. Like trying to kill David or even his son and consulting a medium. And it gets worse and worse. And we finally get to the point of this passage where he's about to die. And it's a desperate time. And Saul is on the battlefield. His men are being slaughtered all around him, and his sons get killed, three out of four, I think. He's critically wounded, and the Philistines, they're coming to get him. Yeah? And what we know about Saul at this specific time, we see that in, later on in 2 Samuel, is that Saul is there, still wearing his crown. This is my glory! <laughs> you know? I mean, you must, you must, he must have been more of a target because he was wearing his crown, yeah? Because if you wear a shiny, sparkly, golden tiara and you go fighting, you, you're probably going to be a little bit more visible, yeah? But no, no, so he's there. He's determined to cling on to that thing because that's what brings weight and glory to his life. And as he faces death, in the eye, his main concern is about not being humiliated himself rather than God's glory. And at the end, his body is used to bring glory to foreign gods. It's sad. It's really sad. For Saul, what happened is that it, it became about the gift rather than the giver. It became about the gift and the calling that he initially was given rather than loving God. His gift just started to mean too much to him and it consumed his heart and it started to define him. In a sense, it became his identity, his glory, and it completely trapped him. He was completely trapped in it. So my encouragement for you guys today is that you would find your glory in God. Yeah, That the weight of your life you know, your significance would be established in God. In nothing else. Not in the things of this world, even if they're good. Not in the gifts and the promises of your life. Because really, all this is so cheap in comparison to God. It's so cheap. But when you find your glory in God, you're free. You know, you're free. You are not defined by status. You are not defined by achievements or dreams or prophecies over your life. You you can let go of things, yeah? You can let go easily. You can rejoice in other people's being elevated because deep inside, you just know that your life matters because it is rooted in God and God alone. And Saul, he just missed that. He really just missed out. The other thing that really Saul missed is that God was his Lord and his king. 
initially when you when you look at Saul, he seems really humble, doesn't it? Yeah, you think, oh wow, he's like a lot of the other people in the car in the Bible. You know, when he's chosen by God, he's very aware of his weaknesses. He's a bit like, you know, he responds in a very similar way to Moses and Gideon. Oh no, God, I can't. I'm far too little, far too small in this big wide world. No, he just he just can't. Yeah. And he seems, so he seems to have what the Bible talks about when it talks about humility. He seems to have a, a sober judgment of himself. Hmm? So you kind of assume that if he's got that, he's going to have an obedient and submissive heart to God. But no. No, no, not for Saul. Fillmore, who is a, is a British theologian who's set up a lot of churches, written quite a few commentaries, really good commentaries, by the way, guys. Um, he defines um, humility as a sober judgment of oneself and a sober judgment of God. So what, what does that mean? I thought that was so good. And I thought, what does that mean? It means that, yes, yes, you acknowledge weaknesses or sin or fear in your life yeah you're not blind to them you take responsibility for them you in a way you learn not to trust your own judgment too much yeah you're aware of your weaknesses you have a sober judgment of yourself but on the other hand you also know who god is you know that he's sovereign lord over this world that is lord over your life you know that in him, you have everything you need for a godly life. That's what Val was saying. You trust that in him, there's everything you need to serving in an honoring and humbling way. You grow, you, you grow with an attitude towards God of, yes, my weakness, but God's strength. Yes, my fear, it's there, but God's love. And yes, my sin, still a bit there, but God's grace. Fillmore, he, he continues to develop a bit on that idea of, you know, uh, humility is sober judgment of oneself and sober judgment of God. And he says that when you're humble in that way, it leads to obedience, yeah? Because when you have the right view of God, then you can respond in faith and you can have courage, yeah? Because you know that you rely on a God who is able, on a God who is suffering, or a God who is willing, you know, that he's on your side, that fights a king who fights your battle. That is so important. That is so important that we don't stop to just acknowledging our weaknesses, yeah? <laughs> When we acknowledge weaknesses, that we confess them to God, yeah, because that's what we do, isn't it? Oh, I'm a bit weak at this. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a bit weak at that. You might say to your friend, you know what, I'm going to admit it. A little bit weak at that. Let's pray together. Yeah, it's what you do. Yeah, you admit it. You confess to each other. It's a good thing. Uh, it's a godly thing. But we need to maybe be a bit careful that it doesn't just stop there or only leads to a self-improvement, self-sanctification. Because if it doesn't go further, there's a risk that it just leads to a place of self-centeredness and passivity rather than a place of faith and courage. What if, think about it. What if Moses and Joshua had just stopped there? Oh, no, I can't, I can't. 
They just try to become the best Moses and the best Joshua they could ever be, yeah? Well, then Moses would not have led Israel out of Egypt. Then Joshua would not have led them to the promised land. <clears throat> when, when you're faced with your own limitations, yeah, when you can't trust in your own abilities for the work that God has put in front of you, you need to look at God. You need to look at God and to see him as your Lord and your King, who is totally sovereign, who fights your battle, and who is with you. Yeah? And you simply make the choice to believe. In a way, sometimes we think it's really difficult, but really it's, it's a, a, making a choice to believe and to then master whatever little courage you may have in there to take the first step towards obedience. And that is so important that we respond in, in such a way to our weaknesses so that it brings fruit. <clears throat> and Saul, he missed that. He just he missed that. He does not have a sober judgment of God. He actually he disregards God. Yeah? And that leads, that leads to two things. It leads that he does not find courage in God to respond in faith. And he does not value the voice of God over his own voice. Yeah? And that makes him so disobedient. Big time. Yeah? And his life is like a long story of disobedience getting worse and worse and worse. And looking back to chapter 1 of disobedience for him, it's in chapter 13. Chapter 13 and that's his first big moment of disobedience for Saul. And just to give you a little bit of context of what happens, Saul's army is in a battlefield with the Philistines, again. And Jonathan, who is his son, is at the forefront of the battle with 1,000 men. Good Jonathan. And Saul, who is the king, rather than being right there with his son, is sort of a bit more at the back, yeah? On the hillside with 2,000 men, yeah? You can so imagine Jonathan. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling the love right now. <laughs> yeah. And... What happens is that Saul, he just does not find courage in God to carry out the responsibility that God has given him. Yeah? He's passive and withdrawn rather than responding in faith. Because he had, the kings at this time, they went with their people to fight the battles. And when he's told to wait on the Lord for seven days before making a burnt offering as asked by Samuel, yeah? He does not wait because he does not value the voice of God over his own and he gets overwhelmed by what's going on because the battle is still there and he doesn't find the faith to wait. And sadly, it, his disregard for God does not stop there. Yeah? And it grows, it just gets worse and worse to the point where he's rejected as king by God because of disobedience and it grows deeper in his heart. Yeah? What was just maybe a little sign of rebellion just ends up growing deeper and deeper in his heart. And when he's in that, that last pa- that passage where he's about to, you know, to, be, to be killed, he's actually battling his own will against God. Yeah? At that time, yeah, if you're a king or a judge or a leader of Israel, if you're doing God's will and you go to battle, you win. Most of the time, you win, yeah? So Saul is there, and 
he's losing the battle big time, yeah? So he knows, you know, he's not like, oh, this is very unfortunate. Oh, no, no, he, he knows that he's opposing God, God's will in that battle. And what we see is that he's battling, yeah, he's determined. He's determined, no, I will not submit. He's holding on to this crown. You know, we sang earlier, it was quite interesting, about there was this song with like cherubins and crowns and stuff. And, uh, sorry, I can't remember. I tried to remember. And, and it speaks about laying down your crown before his throne. And you can tell, he's just holding on and he's like, my will, my will. And he can't lay down his crown. He's just determined not to submit to God because God is not his king, he's not his lord, and because he does not have the right judgment of who God is. I think sometimes, I don't know how you feel, but I think sometimes I can relate to Saul a little bit, and it scares me a little bit as well. And, and I think we all probably sometimes struggle a little bit with our will and submitting our will, whether it's to God, whether it's to our husband or our parent or our boss. We all like... You know, there's something in us that just just wants to do your own thing. I, my, Josh and I, we, we, we sort of laugh because we call this my little French revolution rising inside me. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Sometimes I just, I'm like, no. No. I don't really, no. And it's bad, it's bad. And I'm like, no, bring it back to the Lord, Riff. Bring it back. And there's just something in us that is that you... You want to be in charge of your decisions. You want to be the master of your own self. Thank you. And when you become a Christian, the whole process of you becoming a Christian and saying, God, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, is you're my king and I'm your servant. So you lay that down before God. And somehow, sometime, it just creeps back in, in certain areas of your life. And... We need to, and we find ourselves in the same sort of position where we need to resubmit to God. I was trying to find a, a bit of an example, and I think about submission and stuff. And I find looking at marriage really helpful when thinking about submission. Because, you know, I'm married to Josh. Uh, it's been seven years. And as a woman, obviously, when you think about marriage, you want to take a little bit of time yeah, to think about that, what it's going to mean to submit to your husband, yeah? Because you know that if you want to honor God, you're going to need to do a little bit of that. Not necessarily all the time, a little bit of that, yeah? <laughs> you're going to need, yeah? And for me, I'm going to be honest here, I was a bit scared that I would be a dominating woman, that I would boss my husband around, that the poor thing would have to, like... And, and I kind of... And I kind of thought, I'm going to have to marry someone with like a really strong personality, with a massive charisma, loud. So the only thing I can do is yield and submit before him. Because yeah? otherwise, I'm just going to be that, that woman who is just in charge of the relationship and this and that. And for me, really, that, that stemmed from some aspect of my relationship with my dad. My dad was not always very well. And that meant that at times, I had to be more responsible than my dad. Yeah. And that I always thought, oh, what if... I, I could see that in me, taking that role quite easily. And I thought, oh, what is if it's going to be like that with my husband? No. So <laughs> when I met Josh, and he was so not like the big, loud, <laughs> charismatic guy, charismatic guy. 
it just led in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, how is that going to work? How is that going to work? And I prayed and I prayed and I was like, God, you know, this is the one. I'm not going to be able to yield. And, and I realized, and I realized that, well, submission is a choice. Yeah, it's a choice. It is not for my husband to impose it on me, impose it on me, or somehow make it happen. And that opens a door to loads of bad relationships. If it's important to you, no, you make the choice to submit. It's my responsibility to choose to honor Josh or not. Yeah? And actually, what I realized, obviously, as we started dating and got to know each other better, and our relationship got more solid, um, I just realized, wow, actually, Josh loves me a lot. He's yeah. pretty smitten. Hmm? <laughs> And I know that he wants the best for me. And I also know that he's able to sacrifice stuff for me. That I can trust that his own stuff is not going to get in the way of, say, of the good for me. And that made, for me, it made it easy to submit. Because I knew that I could trust Josh, that I could trust his motives, that I know that he could trust my good, that it was for my good, and also that yeah, it was my responsibility to choose to submit. And that I could do that, and I wanted to do that. Well, God, he does not impose submission upon us. You know, he does not force his way upon us. But he will give us opportunity to choose to submit to him, to submit our will to him. And when you know who God is, yeah, how his love is greater than any other love. How he wants to do, how he wants your good. You know, he wants your good. And how he understands things far more better than we do. Exactly what Lucia was praying, you know. Our minds are limited, but his mind is limitless. He understands life and the world and where things are going in your life and in the course of history far better than we do. And when you know that he is the king that will fight your battles, then it's easy to submit, to say, yes, God, you're my king. Your will and not mine. Philippa um, Strad in written a book called God's Heart for the Poor. And she says something really good about sort of your, walking, your walk with Christ or when you lead a ministry or whether you're, you feel that your mission field is work, all those things. She speaks about, she says, sorry, she says, success is obedience not outcome. Saul, he reigned for 42 years. That's quite a long time, yeah. Yet, most of his reign was marked with disobedience. The most successful thing that he could have done would have been to submit to God as his Lord and as his King. So, you know, at Beacon, that's why we often say, hold it lightly. Hold it lightly. Ever since I've been here, I've heard, hold it lightly. At the beginning, I didn't really understand. I thought, yeah, but surely, if you care about the Lord, you don't hold it lightly because you care. But no, you hold it lightly so he doesn't define you. Yeah? doesn't mean that you don't do it diligently, but you know what is God, what is the gift. Yeah? And when we say hold it lightly, it's because... At the end of the day, the glory, it belongs to God. Yeah, it belongs to God 
and he alone is king of this world and heaven, yeah? And Saul, he settled for something cheap. His own little glory, his own little will, <coughs> compared to what God had for him. And we see it, at the beginning we see it, what God had for him was good. You know, he had massive army against the Ammonite, he won, he was with the Lord, everything was wonderful. It was good. But you know what? When I looked at that, I thought, oh, Saul is a bit of a sad character sometimes in the Bible. You feel like, oh dear, and this happened, oh dear, this happened, and then this happened again, and then he tries to kill, and no, no, dysfunctional family. Um, you know, it's a bit messy. But what I, when I prayed about this passage, I felt reminded of, but God loved Saul. God loved Saul, even if he was, he messed up so bad. God loved him. He was part of his chosen people. He chose him. And God opposed him out of love. You know, when he's at, on that battlefield and everything goes wrong for him, yeah, God is opposing him so that he would come to a place of repentance. Because God gives you opportunities on after opportunities to repent, to change your way say, no, you know, you are my saviour, my king, my glory. And that's what Saul he needed to do. And God gave him so many opportunities because God wanted to save Saul. So my encouragement, guys, today, really, is that you would not settle for something cheap. That, like Ben, you would have your glory set on God. That your significance would be on God that your will will be submitted to God and that, it would, that your understanding of God will lead you to a place of faith and courage and obedience because he has far more than what you can ever imagine for your life if you let him in. We're going to have a bit of a response time. So the band is going to come back up, play a song. Which song are you thinking, Matt? Yeah, Leaning Heart, lovely. Um, <clears throat> and we're going to have a bit of a response time and a ministry time, okay? So if, so I'm going to ask you to be brave. If there's something that talks to you, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I know it's a little bit awkward, especially if you're the first one. Um, and then we'll pray for you. Um, but really, what, this is a time of laying down stuff before God. Yeah, laying down Areas of your life that you know have been competing with finding your glory in God. Yeah. Areas of your life where, oh, you just can't let go. You want to do your own thing, but you know God is saying, mm, not quite. And you're, you're holding on. You know you need to submit to God. And the last one is for people who want to grow in faith and in courage, in acting obedient. And you know sometimes when I... When I look at the church and the people that I know at church, I think, wow, this church has got so much potential. The heart of people is amazing. You know, people are willing to be touched by God, but willing to take responsibilities, and great people love God. And I think, ah, there's so much more for some of them. There's so much potential that is not quite unlocked. And if it's one of you, and you know that that's what's in you, but you want to grow in faith and in courage, you need to come forward so we pray for you. Okay? So we'll do the song. I'll go here and we'll pray. Okay? 
I'm going to pray and then we'll do the song. Yeah, God, thank you that you are our King, Lord. And you are our glory, Lord. And when you're our King and our glory, Lord, we are free, free to be your children, Lord. Free to serve you, Lord, with confidence, Lord. And there are so, so much more for us, Lord. I pray, God, that as we sing that song, Lord, that you would that you would touch our heart, Lord, that you would help us to lay down stuff before you. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.